They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Talk to music. Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick Sometimes I'm nice, sometimes I'm not having it Sometimes I rock steady, sometimes I mix it up But I always stay cracking, I don't give up What's up? Hey y'all Hey y'all Been a while, but I'm back Been a while, but I'm back How's everybody this week? I hope everybody is doing very well. Welcome to Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. I am your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. I've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years now, some of which I'll be talking about today. Um, you can read some of my music writing at rnbeing.com. I'm also an author who has written a number of books. You got the biography, Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. You got my memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe. All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C. You got my novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love. Who's your daddy? And you have my forthcoming special, The Life and Art of Janet Jackson, which is why the podcasts have been a little more sporadic lately because I'm in the finishing stages of that and it's kind of... um. It's harder and harder to take breaks from it. But anyway, um, I have a website where you can find links for some of the stuff that I talk about on the show. Um, it's easy to remember. It's craigspoplife.com. So welcome to a very special episode of Craig's Pop Life. Um, as many of you all know, if you follow me on social media, and if you don't, why not? At Craig's Pop Life. On all platforms, except Facebook, but don't follow me on Facebook anyway, because I'm never on it. But anyway, um, a couple of months ago, I posted a picture of a cassette of a Lauren Hill interview that I did back in November 1998. And this was at the height of the miseducation of Lauren Hill era. And I was writing a story for Spin Magazine, which had just very justly named her as Artist of the Year. So anyway, I literally had not listened to this tape for 20 years. Mostly because I really wasn't pleased with the article I wrote. It was like one of my first big, it was the first big celebrity interview that I ever did. It was before Mariah, before Janet, and I'd really only been writing music reviews. So Spin gave me this big chance, and I just felt like at the end of the day, I didn't really have the skills to pull it together in the way I would have liked to. Um, so I was kind of disappointed in it. And But you know, that's all part of the journey of being a writer, and it's I'm grateful that I just had the chance when I was in the game, you know, people I'm grateful to all the people that gave me opportunity just to learn while doing learn while getting that check. And I'm very um, grateful that I was working in a time when there were a lot of opportunities, because there were a lot of paying um, media outlets, um, you know, there are lots of media outlets now, but they're not always paying media outlets. So anyway, I had put this tape of Lauren interview aside, largely because I didn't like the story, you know, so I wasn't really, I guess I was kind of feeling like the story was sort of reflective of the interview. But I guess starting last year with the 20th anniversary of the miseducation of Lauren Hill, I began just thinking about the historical significance of the interview in terms of when it was done and in terms of where she took her career since then, you know, and kind of turning her back on celebrity and mainstream success. 
I'll let you be the judge of whether or not you can see any hints of what's to come in or hear any hints of what's to come in the interview. But here are just some things just to give you some context um, for what you're about to listen to. Okay, so the interview took place the day before she was um, scheduled to give birth to her daughter, Sela, who is now a model. Um, I don't know if she actually gave birth that next day or not, but um, it was definitely, but she was, um, you know, that's when she was due. And we touch on a lot of opportunities because it was so controversial that she was pregnant again because, you know, she'd already had Zion. And, of course, you know, the anthemic song about having a baby despite what other people might say to Zion was on the miseducation. But now the miseducation was, you know, in its um, – was dropping and p- picking up and doing what it was doing, and she was pregnant again. So people was talking, you know. So we t- – talked like she missed she was um cast in oprah's film adaptation of tony morrison's beloved she was cast in that but she had to um sit that opportunity out and we also discussed i had totally forgotten about this a lot of things i've forgotten about so it was really pleasant for, for me to listen to too but she discussed some advice that nina simone had given her about being a mother in the music industry and she does a really nice nina impression so you should definitely listen for that um, we discussed her relationship with other women in the business, like Mary J. Blige and Erica Badu. We talk about some really 90s topics, like Monica Lewinsky and David Koresh. And one thing that I really, I've kind of forgotten about this too, but we really came together um, on our shared love for singer Linda Jones. Now, if you know me well or anything, you know that Linda Jones is one of my favorite singers. Um, you know, unfortunately, she passed away very young, but... In terms of raw soul, I mean, she was one of the most soulful that ever did it. And I'll post a couple of my favorite tracks on um, the Craig's Pop Life website. But um, Laura knew about Linda Jones. Linda Jones also from Jersey, so that was that connection. But it, it was just – it's rare you run up across somebody that really is um, deep with Linda Jones. So anyway, and one question I've forgotten that kind of um, – made me laugh um, that I've forgotten to ask her in light of her lyrics on do wop that thing was whether or not she'd ever had a weave. <laughs> so you'll have to listen to see what she says. Now, one last thing. Um, I just want you to realize that this is a tape that was left unprotected in a box for two decades. So the sound quality at some points is very, very low especially toward the end. Um, I had a sound engineer actually work on the tape. That was some of the delays since the picture and me putting it out because I wanted it to at least get the best as possible. And, um, you know, this was recorded over uh, like a, a telephone, old school, um, what do you call it? Like a corded telephone and with a t- tape recorder from Radio Shack. So, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, and it was for a print interview, so it wasn't like I was that pressed about the sound quality at the time. Um, so, anyway, there's about three to five minutes toward the end that are particularly hard to hear, but um, I think, you know, I think you'll still enjoy it. And without further ado, here is Miss Lauren Hill. Hello, Craig. Great. Old blackmail material on me. Uh-oh. 
looking at a <laughs> like dirt or like tracks or something. He's got like early videotape performances and lots of stuff. Is she going to be on the, another edition of that VH1 before they were stars? Or Trying to make this real. Tomorrow, four o'clock. But I'm probably my new date is November 16th. However, everyone looking at me thinks that I'll be going. That you're about to go. Well, I'm gonna try to make this real non-stressful. Then. <laughs> Although that would be a nice cap for the interview. But anyway. <laughs> so tell me. With the labor after. Right. <laughs> but I wouldn't be able to do any follow-up questions or anything. No, no. <laughs> so tell me, how is this phenomenal success? I mean, how does it feel? want to know about how tall my ankles are, <laughs> that's what I'm feeling right now. Isn't that crazy? Mm. Let me tell you, God is really, he, he, he has a, uh, um, we have a real, he has a sense of humor with me. Uh -huh. every, <laughs> every time something real big happens in my career, he puts me in like my most humble, he puts me in the most humble position he possibly can, like uh -huh. fat and waddling. So it's not like I'm out at a party, soaking it all up, holding my feet up, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's uh, it's 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 amazing. It's beautiful. It feels it feels very good to know that I uh, didn't have to compromise myself, mm -hmm. and that people are supporting it and and are continuing to support it. And that um, you know that that they relate to something that felt so felt so that I felt so strongly about. Um, okay. I, I think my nervousness, the anxiety that I had. Right now, uh, hip-hop, R&B music, black music as we know it right now, wasn't as personal and as intimate as, as the music that I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it was, was very braggadocious and real cool, and, you know, we talked more about what, what it is that we wanted to be as opposed to, you know, what we were or who we were. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make an album that was really, really personal, and I thought that people, you know, um, weren't going to be able to relate or, or that I was a Martian. I really did. I really was like, wow, okay. So, you know, I put this album out and to know that people have responded in such a way it shows me two things. Um, one being that, you know, that they're very ready, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. for, for real music and for, for truth in music and, and real experience and, and music that touches um, uh, a more deep, you know, that goes deeper than the surface. Right. But, um, and also that I wasn't as much of a Martian, much of a Martian as I thought I was. <laughs> So explain to me a little bit about what this nervousness was like. I mean, it was going. It was. I give an example. Mm -hmm. It was like me playing a song for my mom, you know, and my mother, <laughs> my mother going, I feel that line, and I and me going, yeah, but you know, I grew up on your records, so of course you right. would feel it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But our kids, you know, our fourteen-year-old, thirteen-year-old, seventeen-year-old, and people who you know who are remotely a part of this generation, mm -hmm. gonna feel that same passion. Cause I, I was one of those weird kids. I I, um, I listened to a lot of uh, older music growing up. You know what I mean? And not older like mature music, but just older as right. like 20 years prior to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, that type of music. And I was really, really into it from a very young age. You know, I think a lot of people discovered a lot of music in high school and college. Right. But this was 
stuff that I was raised on when I was seven years old. So it had a lot to do with shape, with shaping my my musical direction and also my musical expectations. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear more. Um, you know, I wanted real sound, live instruments, and and and, and a real lyricism and real storytelling. And at that particular earlier in my career, the only place that I was finding anything remotely close to that was in like the hip hop, the rap world. Right. You know. So I kind of removed myself from the R&B, um, the R&B arena. You know, even though I sang, just because I was disillusioned with the way it had gone mm-hmm. for some period of time. You know. Um, but after the Fugees, and, and and after there were people who were listening to me rhyme and also listening to me sing, I figured that perhaps there was an audience. Mm-hmm. would be able to stomach, <laughs> you know what I mean, some of what I was talking about. Right. So what means more to you now, the critical, you know, acclaim of the album or the sales success or the just... The critical acclaim is wonderful. You know, the fact that, that, that it's selling is wonderful, but um, there's no response like the response you get from people. Okay. The critical acclaim is like, um, it can almost even be speculation before something is released. Mm-hmm. But the people, they confirm it, you know what I mean? They, they really confirm it. They confirm that, you know, that you're not out of touch, for example. Right. You know, I think any artist, um, well, at least my desire um, is to always, is, is to be able to reach, you know what I mean, and captivate and inspire and, mm-hmm. and move the people, you know what I mean? And the thing is, you can really easily get caught up just reading your press and, 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 and that holds you over, but I don't think it really would really drive its way home if, if, if it wouldn't really sustain me if I didn't hear that there were people who were touched by this music, um, people outside of the music industry mm-hmm. also Because sometimes, you know, in the music industry, we can have sort of weird standards, mm-hmm. and standards that are a little more intellectual, a little heavier, mm-hmm. and um, I've always been somebody who's tried to sort of, um, um, you know, deal with the groove and with the thought process. Okay. You understand what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there's certain music that's not really intellectual music. And some, some people may not appreciate it, but it's music that has a groove, no doubt. And it's successful because it makes the feel the groove. Right. And then there's music that's really thinking people's music. Mm-hmm. And there's even music that can be a little bit pretentious because people may not even be able to relate to it. Right. It may be deep, that critically, you just have to respect it for what it is. It's a thought process. But I've always wanted to really reach the people and and, 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 and have a groove and respond to a groove and have them respond to this groove, but also make them think at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? It's kind of like preaching to the choir, you know what I mean? You kind of have to go outside the church doors right. and drive the message home. Mm-hmm. So if you had a moment where you, you know, seen, I don't know, heard you out playing out of the, somebody's window and they were singing to... That is very funny. And it's always like, <laughs> it's always like the people who... I love it when it's just people, you know what I mean? When it's people, you can be driving a Gremlin. You don't have to be in like a Bentley, you know, right. you, know mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? You can be in a Gremlin or a Chevette and just be pumping it. That's what it feels good. Also, uh, I did some um, in-stores uh, when the album was released. Mm-hmm. It was like a week, maybe the week the album was released. And the, the way that people were responding, the things that they were saying to me, was, it was quite different from anything that I had ever encountered. You know, we had the Fuji success. There were people who would come up and be like, hey, you know, Lauren, I love such and such. I love the way you rhymed on X, Y, and Z. But this was different because people were really like, wow, this 
phone mirrored my life exactly. And okay, I was like, hey. So how was that different from, like, what you experienced with the score and stuff? A lot more poignant, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and, a, and a, little, a little heavier, you know what I mean? A little, you know, this, I would have little girls coming up to me that went to school like, I love you more than I love my father! <laughs> interview you say that you wanted your music to empower to inform and to inspire and I know you wanted your music to reach as many people as possible but there is there you know a certain group of people that you would have been really disappointed if your songs hadn't touched do you know what I mean um, I think I think I, I definitely you know I mean everybody you know hip-hop is the voice of urban culture mm -hmm. you know what I mean so you always want to reach that audience you know what I mean I, I think there are a few people in hip-hop tell you that they didn't want to reach, you know, those people with bodies in the beginning, and the, you know, and the people that you grew up around. Right. You know? I mean, I think it would be strange for me as a black woman to make a record about my experiences and then have black women hate it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'd be like, okay, all right. You know, I probably feel a little strange, you know, so to know that, um, that there are young women, um, you know, Right. But I definitely think that that the world is a lot smaller than I probably thought growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I ended up realizing, um, particularly with the success of the school and with this album, that you know um, our our issues may not have the same face, but the insides are the same. The material on the inside may be very, very similar. Okay. You know, so it's interesting that all different types of people, because I haven't really got one demographic, you know, telling me that they appreciate this record. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had, uh, you know, Italian cops in Port Authority, you know, that page, I love the record, is that your little boy? You know? Right. And so, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's really heavy. Well, so do you think that you have a specific message to, like, young sisters that's different than the message you have for brothers, or, like, you know what I mean? Uh, Mm-hmm. 
Another thing that you said in an interview once was that, um, you know, once you stand for something that you face opposition. And then there was something in the new Rolling Stone that, um, you know, called the album beautiful but preachy. What do you think of that criticism? Um, well, I think that, you know, first of all, with any successful thing, there's a period of time where, you know, whoever doesn't get to say, whoever doesn't get to be the first person to applaud it will be the first person to criticize it. Okay. You know I mean? That's just, mm-hmm. that's just the world. Right. Okay, so you have to, you know, you'll wait for that. But, um, also, I think that the music is, um, it's very inspirational, and it's also like devotional music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, um, it's a, I'm not embarrassed to mention God in song. Mm-hmm. Some people find that corny, some people find that um, even offensive. Um, you know, you know it's, it's always funny to me to hear people talk about, you know, um, things being puritanical or, 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 you know, or too, too goody-goody. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much baddie baddie. You know? right. It's like this is just one woman's story, you know. Okay. It's not me trying to, because I can never judge anybody. But having gone through things myself, I put the story out there so I can hopefully help someone else to avoid some trap that I may have fallen into. Mm-hmm. But um, when you do, when you stand in a position, when you choose to start, there are a lot of different things that you can do. You can always ride the middle. But the middle's not a good place because there was a, a war in heaven in the Bible. And, uh, there were angels who fought for God, there were angels who fought for the devil, and there were angels who were just out of it. Mm-hmm. And once, uh, you know, Satan was uh, cast into the fiery pit, all of his uh, angels were sent, that fought for him were sent down there too. Mm-hmm. And But also, so were the people who stayed out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because the difference is like, you know, bad. Right. So, you know, if, if I choose a position and I choose to want to inspire folks and, 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 you know, let them know how beautiful they are, I'm sure that there are people who, you know, would not have that message be released. Uh, you know, who don't think that's very exciting or, or, or does their um, their business very much good. Mm-hmm. You know, so may have something negative to say about it. You know, also when you raise the bar, raise the standards, you know, it's kind of messing with people's money. Right. <laughs> so, so people sort of, you know, they can very easily start to get mad at you. Well, as far as the preachiness criticism, you know, that's prim- do you feel that's primarily coming from the media, or do you actually hear that from people on the street? I hear that from the media. Okay, so do you think, going back to what you said about, um, you know, how the media can like a lot of sort of intellectual type stuff, and, um, you know, there's sort of a difference between the expectations of the media and the expectations of just the person on the street? Oh, most definitely, because the media is, is looking with, um, first of all, they're looking for something to criticize. You know, they're looking with, a, with, with some sort of scope or some magnifying glasses, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're really, as opposed to responding to the spirit. Right. I think people, you know, they respond to what makes them feel good. Whereas the media, you know what I mean, it's sort of their job to kind of really scrutinize and find out, you look at all the holes in the boat and, and the defects, and, as, as well as, you know, what's right with the boat, but as well as what's wrong. Do you think, I mean, do you find that kind of analysis instructive at all? I mean, do, as an artist, you know, knowing how much care you put into your work and that, you know... I, I think analysis is cool, but okay. I, I really respond to inspiration. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm inspired to say something, then, then I'm inspired to say it. And if I, you know, I'm not one of those people who sort of sits down and really forces to try and come up with something. You know right. I mean? Like, I, you know, 
I'll, I'll pick up a guitar and, and drum some chords. And lyrically, you know, I'm usually inspired to write and say certain things, particularly with this album. Mm-hmm. You know, this was all inspiration. It has very little to do with it. You know, these mm-hmm. are things that I think it was obviously meant for me to say because I could have made an album saying anything. Right. But this is what came. And the reason I bring up the thing about... I, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, like, I don't have, like, a personal agenda. Oh, no, I understand. I for office. Right. So, so it's in your campaign speech, yeah, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, because one thing I was wondering about that whole, you know, um, the difference between what the media makes of things and what people on the street makes of things. Because I'm down in South Carolina right now, okay. and there's this beauty salon called the Diva Hair Weaver. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I was walking up by there, and I said, well, let me just run in here since I'm working on this piece. They got mad at me, didn't they? And see what they think about Lauren Hill. <laughs> so, you know, I go in there, and it's like 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. All the chairs are full. Everybody's getting their hair weaved. And so I was like, you know, so we started talking about you and your music and stuff. And I said, um, you know, does anybody bother by the line and do up? You know, hair weaves like Europeans, fake dads like Koreans. And nobody in there thought that you were talking about them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that, that begs the question. I mean, are you t- who are you talking about in that line? Are you talking about them? Yeah, that's, that's my people, my people. <laughs> I mean, so who, who is the target of that line? You know what I'm saying? Um, I think it's more of a mind state. I don't even think it's a, a specific sister. I think it's a mind state. Because, you know, I'm not saying that women can't straighten their hair because we can do it. There's a bunch of this versatility. Versatility is beautiful. Right. But it's the mind state that that's all you can do. And anything contrary to that is ugly or hideous. Okay. You know, the fact that we should love ourselves, period. You know what I mean? But not because we put on this cosmetic, you know what I mean? All, all of that, which is cosmetic, and that makes us beautiful. You know? So it's not necessarily you over there with the hair weave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you're saying, that. okay, so let me get this correct, because you know there's a big issue, and there's like a lot of people who talked about it. I mean, so you're not, you're, you're saying it's not really the hair weave itself that is the problem. It's the thinking. Yeah, okay. That's what it's thinking behind the hair weave. Because I know these, I mean, I grew up with these girls. Mm-hmm. These are the girls who, oh my God, I can't go nowhere without my nails, right? Okay. Oh my God. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. It, it, it has nothing to do with, you know, it, it's not, it's not the woman itself. It's what, the, what is in the woman's head. Okay. You know, and there can be many different reasons as to why that woman doesn't think that she's particularly beautiful, minus, uh, you know, all the fiction. Well, I remember, like, one sister at the shop said to me that she just doesn't feel as pretty without a weave. And, you know, that was deep. And, and that's you unfortunate. Know? You know right. What I mean? that's, she's probably beautiful, but probably nobody's ever told her. Okay. You know what I mean? And there are a bunch of reasons. I mean, you know, I mean, going right back to, uh, you know, media images of, of what a beautiful woman is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you something. As a, as a young black woman, I grew up never thinking that a white woman could get a weave. It wasn't until later that I learned that Dolly Parton mm-hmm. and all these people were weaves. Like, I always thought that the white hair type always grew to, like, the middle of the back. And sisters would just, hey, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I never knew how cosmetic cosmetics really were. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's not just something that we're afflicted by. Everybody, I just don't feel beautiful with my fall. So what is, okay, so what does Lauren Hill think the problem, the problem, you're really just ultimately trying to say that you just need to feel beautiful with who you, okay, um, and, and, and understand that, that, 
your importance, your significance has a lot more to do than what is on the outside. Um, most of those women who weave it up and, and, and nail it are the type of girls who, who are um, who are crediting their beauty to how men particularly or people respond to them. You know what I mean? Like when I was 14 years old, okay, it was very important that when I walked down the street that if guys didn't look like I would actually look back, turn around and look back and see if a brother was following me with his eyes. Mm-hmm. Or I just didn't feel pretty. Mm-hmm. And then I grew up, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I felt attractive regardless. And I was confident enough to believe in who I was and I, I knew I had more than just what he was saying, sneakers and tennis shoes and all. Okay. You understand what I mean? But there are a lot of young women who are still trapped in that if I'm not turning heads, if he's not screaming, you know, and, and maybe even pawing on me, mm-hmm. then I'm just not pretty. And I'm just not. And if I'm not pretty, then I'm not significant. Okay. And that's a huge misconception. That my value is, is based, you know, directly on how I look. Well, you know, it's clear you've talked about, you know, how much you're influenced by the music of the 70s and stuff like that, right? So we're talking about 60s and 70s, right? Because what I'm thinking is that a lot of a lot of that music is coming out of the whole, you know, the Black is Beautiful movement, you know, and that that was my parents. Um, the, the age that I am now, that's how old they were, and that whole that whole. So I was raised with a lot of that. And that dialogue just just does not exist right now. Do you know what I mean? And so do you feel like? But it doesn't mean that it's not it's not significant. Oh, of course. Well, that's what I'm saying. Do you feel like? I'm kind of that chick that you know sort of likes to bring back into the agenda. Okay. Get a little less popular, mm-hmm. but are still important. Okay. So that would oh, be. Yeah. Trust me, starving babies in Africa aren't even on the agenda right now. Right. Well, yeah. Nothing except ourselves. It's very, very. It's a, to me, right now, right now reminds me. If, if I could parallel this time with any other time, it would, it would remind me of of the of the later seventies of disco, Watergate. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? It's like that era, and it usually. Um, it usually goes hand in hand with um, with uh, economic stability. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when people are a little more struggling, people are a little more aware, they're a little more hungry, a little more angry, and they want to talk about issues. Right. But you know, I guess you know Clinton has done something. But when there's a little more economic stability, people are are, are, are very, you know, well my 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 Gucci, my <laughs> my this that, my. You know. Well, what do you think of the whole what's going on with Clinton and everything? Clam up on me now. That's <laughs> actually a political question. <laughs>
Okay. Into one and nurture. And to want to, um, you know, and not be afraid of that nurturing side of me. Mm -hmm. um, like, I don't have to be the vixen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't want to be like, you know, 200 pounds, you know, making pancakes either. But you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Okay, now you have this big thing against this kind of matrix, because you just brought up against this kind of matrily image. Because, you know why? Because why? I'm 23 years old, and I'm young, and I have children, and that's all good. You know what I mean? For a man, a man is still blazing. He can have, like, four kids, <laughs> and he's still, like, no, I'm for you. But women get this sort of, like, turned-up eye, you know, and I really, you know, wanted my fans and the audience to know that ain't nothing Okay, so, okay, well, what exactly are you saying? Are you saying that you still want people to find you attractive and you think that if they perceived you as kind of a matronly that they would find you attractive? Or You see what I'm saying? I think it's, I think it's a little bit of that, too. Okay. Know, I think it's probably a little bit of, of, um, of wanting to still be considered attractive, but not just attractive. To be, to be, uh, oh, I can't, I don't know what, what the word I'm looking for is. It's almost like, hard road for females. Um, when I talk to the, to the older women, mm -hmm. I had a Simone, mm -hmm. and she said to me, I, Lauren, <laughs> she said, I don't think that a woman can have a family and be in the music business. But she had a daughter. Yeah, she did. But she didn't raise her daughter or something like, like that? Well, I don't, no, 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 I think she did, but she still said that to me. Okay. Perhaps, you know, in her mind, she's thinking, you know, I, I deserve to have been a bigger artist. Mm. Well, Without necessarily, you know, um, 
Okay. Because, um, you know, I still, I still feel attractive or, or like 40 pounds on my head. Since it's the urine issue, I've just I tried to talk to his. No, that's not what I'm saying. Listen, to me. what I'm saying is I just tried to talk to as many people as possible. Just as you know, if we're closing the gear. What is the you know very question you want to ask Lauren Hill? You know, to put all these issues to rest because you know people talk, and a lot of people. You know, people. They do. You know, on these little radio shows and what have you. Why was I taking all it's just saying, you know, well, if she wants to be, you know, if she's supposed to be the mother of this and that, why won't she be photographed pregnant? You know, that's... Well, a, I got a personal photo. No. <laughs> I have a whole gang of them. You're just saying it's not for us. It's just, you know, it's, it's a private thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I not selling tickets to the... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, or live on the internet, right? And it's no disrespect because as soon as I have this child, I'll be on the road. I usually have the most friendly, cordial, nice, 
talk to said, oh, well, I don't know her personally. Yeah, I, I don't hang out. You know what I mean? So anybody who would even think that I would have beef, they probably don't even know me. You know, and I can never have beef with somebody that I don't know. You know, because if I was somebody put on a record, you know what I mean? If you don't know me or I don't know you, it kind of makes it hard. You know okay. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. so for anybody to pass judgment on, you know, who you are as a person. But I don't have beef with anyone. Well, what was this deal with Erica Badu? Was she invited to the Rose is Still a Rose video shoot? Like you're looking for dressing to go with your car. 
said you are your implants have your own label and everything. I actually do have my own label. Oh, okay. Um, I have one. What's the name of it? Um, I can't say that. Okay. <laughs> what you just said, yeah.
winding this up, um, what advice do you have? A lot of what the album is talking about, a lot of what people hear in the album is that, you know, you were sort of in a group, and different things happen within the group. Like you said, you, the VH1 could do it behind the music on it, you know. But it seems that a lot of things that happened were based upon the fact that you were the only woman in the group, and just how people perceive women. Okay, like you said, you go on tour, people would ask them about politics and hip-hop, they'd ask you about lipstick and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I wasn't trying to suggest that. I was just saying that I think that's one thing that people see in that, and it's also something that you've talked about a lot in interviews. So I was just trying to get at what advice you would have for a young sister that's getting into the same situation. Oh. Like if you saw a little Lauren Hill, you know. First of all, I would say keep your head about Like, who 
message to wow, me. Wow, how can we so superficial? Right. One girl making a record about the fact that everything is about superficiality. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's not me going, I'm better than, better than, better. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not. Okay. You know, I was that girl who walked down the street hoping that all the guys in the block. You know what I'm saying? I was that girl. Right, somebody wanted to ask.
Wonderful. Well, I thank you very, very much.
So I hope you all enjoyed the interview. I certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. And if you like the podcast, please rate it on the iTunes. Please share it with a friend. And don't forget to check out Linda Jones um, on my website because I love her and I want her name, um, you know, to stay relevant out there in these streets. So until next time, be cool, be kind, be creative. And in the words of my fave, be your damn self. (laughs) All right. Check with y'all next time. Love y'all. Bye.